What is innovation really? And can we create it simply, especially in critical situations? Welcome to Reinventors. With me, Anissa Goshi and Thomas Lantala by The Crisis Compass, where we hear from entrepreneurs, activists, business leaders, and inspiring minds from all walks of life about reinvention in challenging times. Whether you're leading large teams, small organizations, or are struggling with dilemma decisions, personally and professionally, this podcast is for you. It is a pleasure to have Sarah Fay on today's podcast. Until the end of December 2019, uh, she was Vice President of Sony's Global Tax Office, heading Sony's European Tax Team and Function, where she was also a chair of the Gender Diversity Group within Sony Pictures. Sarah is a mentor, a coach, and a public speaker, and what is particularly dear to her heart is a focus and passion for gender equality and opportunities for all. A chartered accountant by background, she has 30 years experience in international taxation and has won a number of awards for her work. She's part of the University of Birmingham's Alumni Leadership Mentoring Program and also the Institute of Cancer Research Women of Influence Program. Sarah, welcome to Reinventors, and it's such a pleasure to have you here, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and and lovely to talk to you today. You left Sony at the end of last year and uh, like most of the rest of the world had probably envisaged 2020 to go a bit differently. Um, So um, it's been uh, it's been quite a time of uh, adaptation and change. Um, But um, before we delve into the present, I'd love to to come back to it by uh, taking a trip down memory lane because you have a rich and illustrious career and not just in Sony, but um, in a field that has a reputation for being hard and being clunky and being boring, that being tax, obviously, and you are none of these things, but also crucially for our conversation and also uh, for how we think about uh, the world of business is the fact that tax is viewed, and in fact, it is a very male-dominated area. Uh, So you've had to operate in that, you know, for the best part of 30 years. So how did you get to where you are? What has been the journey like? And what would you say were key turning points? And where did things go completely differently than expected? Um, Well, it's interesting because I've known a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I I always knew that I wanted to be this or I always knew I wanted to do that. And and I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I started doing my A-levels at school thinking that I wanted to be an engineer and I wanted to go into science and had a bit of a growing up experience about halfway through my sixth form when I realised that I was basically about to fail three of the four A-levels and maybe science wasn't the best thing for me. So I, I had to kind of regroup fairly quickly at that point and picked up economics, which I, I had to catch up a year um, over my summer holidays and, and, and general studies and ended up finishing school, getting straight A's, going to Birmingham University, doing commerce, which was economics and business studies and sort of mix of things. Again, just felt that it would give me options. When I left university, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, um, but I'd really enjoyed law. I thought about being a lawyer, but that would have required me to do two more years study. So accountancy, but studying tax seemed to be a good option. It, it was something, this, this is the thing I'm going to keep coming back to, which is it kind of opened doors. It gave me options. So I got the accountancy qualification. I'd always sort of not really seen accountancy as being particularly where I wanted to end up. But tax was was ultimately about solving problems um, and finding solutions to things. Um, and 
that interested me. It's also something where you typically work as part of a large team. And, and that, again, is something that I've always enjoyed. When I was newly qualified as an accountant, I, I, I had two job offers. One was kind of a safe route. It was a big insurance company. It was an established tax team. And the other was going to work with a, a law firm um, as the only tax person there. Um, and, you know, I was like 24 at the time, so the, so it was a fairly big deal. Um, I, I wouldn't, I, I maybe didn't know enough about it to be as scared as I should have been, but um, I, I had no support network. I just went in there and, and did the job on my own. Um, and actually, all the way through my career, though, those slightly riskier decisions seem to have really paid off. The one safe decision I, I made was to go to one of the big accounting firms. I felt I needed some kind of mainstream experience and, and it would be a good name to have on my CV. And, and the environment was completely wrong for me. I, I, I hated it. I, I couldn't wait to leave. I moved to Pepsi, which was a big international role. I'd never done international tax before. I was a UK specialist. Um, but again, it was it was so much fun. I was dealing in the Middle East and, and, and Eastern Europe and, and new cultures to me, um, cultures that were not particularly welcoming to young women. Um, so the, there was quite a lot of, uh, oh, you know, are you this person's secretary? And, you know, no, I'm, I'm his boss. And, and, and people saying, well, you know, when's your boss going to get here so we can have a, a proper conversation? Um, and, but those, those more challenging environments, I guess, are, are, are what has kept me excited and engaged. And I always say to people that when people ask what I do and, and say I work in tax, I always say it's, it's a lot more exciting than it sounds. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, as I say, it's that solving problems, you never know what's going to happen next. Um, uh, you never know what's coming around the corner. You never know how people are going to react to things. Um, and, and you're essentially trying to help a business move forward in a very complex international environment. Things worked out quite well when you followed your instinct. And then when you made a safe decision, so to speak, not that it didn't quite work out as such, and I'm sure, you know, it taught you a lot, but um, it did not feel completely right with your path ultimately that, as you say, we view certain professions with a certain lens. We need to keep more in mind the fact that ultimately everything is about people and what you are doing is leading people and influencing people and inspiring people um, as part of an organization and as part of the success of that organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing I learned from the, you know, the mistake I made of, of going to the place that was wrong for me was, was that ultimately the most important thing was the environment. And that encompasses a lot. It encompasses the, the, the individual people you're working with, but also the, the values of the organization. Every time, I, you know, I've never moved to get more money. I've never moved to get a job title or a promotion. I was headhunted for the Sony job and I had some initial reservations because it's a, it's a Japanese company. I, I, I didn't know much about Japanese culture, but I know it's very hierarchical and it's quite male dominated. And, and you know, I was youngish and female and, and not Japanese. Um, but I spoke to a lot of people both within Sony and also advisors who'd worked with Sony. Everybody seemed to be nice. Everybody seemed to be interested in working together. Everyone seemed happy to be there. And, and, and I think the companies that I've worked for where people are 
proud of where they work and, and proud of what the company does. That's important to me. I, you know, I, I like to go to people and say, I work for this company and then feel proud of it and be, be able to talk about it. And there's certainly some companies in some sectors where I, I don't think I would have felt that. Having a boss who will support you, who will push you. It's not always comfortable. It's not always doing what you think you want to do. In fact, sometimes it's really important that you you do get pushed out of that comfort zone and what you thought you wanted. But knowing that someone's got your back and knowing that sometimes they've got more faith in you than you have in yourself. You know, one of the things I, you mentioned that I, I mentor students when I'm talking to them, they, they have no idea what they want to do. And it's very difficult when you're at university to, to even know what some of these jobs involve. Not all companies are the same, not all jobs are the same. You need to be comfortable that you're in the right environment for you. I think you need to find somewhere that resonates with you, that, that meets your values, that will allow you to work how you want to work and to be who you are. Uh, um, and, and I think, you know, that comes around to the diversity piece as well. If you kind of feel you have to be something you're not to survive in an organisation, then that's probably not the right place for you. Absolutely. And um, I know that we've had this conversation before about the fact that um, obviously you have personal experience of being the only woman in a room, again, you know, in a profession that is it's changing a bit now, and I'm sure you, you're far more aware of all the changes than I am, but it's still pretty male-dominated um, of having imposter syn syndrome, as you've said and you've shared before, struggling to find a communication style that was both genuine for you um, and effective um, in the way that, of what you were communicating and who you were communicating with. Um, and believe that fundamental change to how many organizations work is needed to achieve equality. Uh, and these are things that you've always been vocal about and are rooted also in your experience. Um, but I, I think what you said is very important about the people around you who support you and especially the people above you, so to speak, you know, if they're not in your corner, you know, and that if they don't see what you bring for your skill, you know, and for who you are um, and push you like that, but see perhaps, you know, your gender or the color of your skin or something else, then it's hard. It's difficult to really progress. And as you say, it's not about a pay grade. It's not about a title. Um, people are motivated by different things, but just for you to continue to be yourself and to bring that into your role and to bring that into problem solving, it's hard when you don't have that support and when you're not seen just as, oh, well, you're a female and you must be someone's secretary. Actually, no, you know, like I run the show. Certainly when I started out in my career, there were plenty of examples of blatant sexism. That was horrible. And I think mostly, that has stopped not entirely um it, you, you know but but i think mostly that's changed what's harder now is when people don't realize there's a barrier um and and you know we talk about privilege and and, and the black lives matter movement has really highlighted this this year but it's about the things that you don't realize are even stopping people from saying things so so yeah being the only woman in the room communicating differently from men and, and not being heard as a result. I remember several years ago working on a project with, with an advisor and, and sitting in a big meeting uh, room and, and, and my advisor basically just keeping quiet and taking notes and hearing what was going on and, and, and being prepared to talk to me if, if I asked for input. But at the end of the meeting, one of the, the, the guys leading the project came up and said, I, I don't want that guy here again. You know, he didn't say anything. He's obviously got nothing to contribute. And the, that was a surprise to me that, you know, the perception was if, if you're not speaking, if you're not shouting hello, then 
there's no point having you there for anybody who's in a leadership position to recognize that if someone doesn't say something in a meeting it's your job to include them it's your job to bring them in it's your job to find out what they think and to notice you know very often women speak in meetings and men talk over them or men interrupt them or men actually replay back what they've just said and and, and people hear it when when the man says it and and those are much more difficult to overcome because people don't realize they're happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, for all of us as leaders, that's, that's important to recognize, to recognize that how we write job descriptions is, is interpreted differently by different groups to the population to, to understand that some of the, uh, you know, must have this, must have that, must have this qualification, must have been to this company or this university or or whatever it is, just excludes huge parts of the population for no good reason. Um, And I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's a partner in a big accounting firm, and they have a direct entry program for school leavers, and, and they bring school leavers in from quite troubled areas, disadvantaged areas. And she said she had a young woman working for her who was doing a fantastic job. Uh, the client was really happy. And at the end of a project, the, the client wanted to take everybody out to dinner to say thank you. And this young woman sort of kept coming up with excuses why she couldn't go. And, and my, my friend was concerned and, and, and took her aside and said, look, I kind of get the impression there's there's more to it than you've got a busy diary that you keep saying no what's the problem and this young woman said well I've never eaten in a restaurant wow and she didn't mean she didn't mean I've never eaten in a Michelin starred restaurant or you know I've never eaten in a very smart restaurant she went literally I've never been to Pizza Hut I've never eaten in front of other people and I'm really scared that I'm going to show myself up. My friend was stunned and I was like, oh God, you know, that never occurred to me that that would be an issue. Took her out for lunch, just the two of them said, right, you know, ask all questions. Don't worry, no judgment here. But it's something as simple as that then gave this young woman the confidence to say, okay, yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to join in. But we have to be prepared to ask those questions. And, and, and I think for, you know, when, when we look around an organization and all we see is white men from a certain background, you have to say, well, at this point saying we value diversity isn't enough. You, you've got to be prepared to change your environment to make it more welcoming for people who find that difficult. For me, walking into the room full of men, that's quite daunting. The messages are different, the way people relate to each other are different, and you see the difference when you've got a mixed group in the room Mm -hmm. as to how people interact with each other and how people talk, because no one culture dominates. And also how much better decision-making and solution thinking happens, and how much more effective it is, because you have different minds, different perspectives, and even to connect to that amazing story that you just shared about your friend and her colleague, the fact that she, to have the perception to be able to pick up on that and not just like flip it off as something, oh, okay, well, busy diary, doesn't want to go and could even go as far as being interpreted as, well, you're being antisocial. Do you not want to be with a team? Do you not, you're not a team player. And I know that I'm going quite far in escalating it, but this happens. Um, and during your career, for example, you have dealt with such a wide range of international issues. Um, and I'll only mention a few. 
um, and things that included formation of a new public illicit group, cross-border mergers, um, a variety of M&A transactions and business restructurings. Um, you've regularly engaged in discussions with various governments and legislative bodies, not the least, you know, HMRC and HM Treasury, the European Commission and OECD on various tax policy matters. Um, and that alone, you know, is quite a mouthful and a very small percentage of what you've done, you know, through the years of your career. And you've undoubtedly, as part of this and as part of everywhere you've worked, dealt with many a crisis. Um, the way we work at Crisis Compass with clients and support leaders and organizations during critical situations is by assisting them to really identify what the real problem is that they're facing, because crisis as a label is this huge, dark, big, unknown, uncontrollable thing that if you really take it that way, then you can really freeze in taking the right decisions to go forward. And then we zoom out to consider the bigger picture, uh, do a research inventory on who you have, who you need, um, and how what you have can best be used, and then guide them through this journey of reinvention by pinpointing opportunities. We call it an opportunity spectrum. So you can see crisis as a chance to reinvent um, and come out of it stronger by taking confident decisions. Um, and we put a strong emphasis on the importance of a diverse team and thinking, not just through our experts, which is so important to us, uh, but also from the client side. Um, does this resonate in what has been your approach in some of the situations of critical um, thinking and decision-making in crisis? And um, what are the things that you may have learned from one of such situations and what you have done differently? I'm going to pick up on a few things that you said because one was that you know every crisis is actually an opportunity and and, and I think change is very difficult for organizations and for the people within those organizations but it is always an opportunity to take a look and say okay if everything needs to be changed then 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 where can we take this now and I, I think trying to think about where do I want to end up as a result of this can kind of give you the the strength to keep going towards it but I think the, di the diversity of the team and, and, and diversity of thinking within the team is essential because our own style our own way of doing things we have some things that we're very good at and some things that we're less good at I am quite process driven I am quite analytical uh, I'm very focused on delivering results I'm a good project manager I get stuff done what I'm less good at is the sort of touchy-feely hey how's everybody feeling today stuff because I don't need people to ask me that in a work context I just get on with it and also sometimes I'm not as creative so I'm not the kind of person who can sit in front of a blank sheet of paper and come up with ideas. That's not the way my brain works. And so sometimes I get very fixed on getting to the end of one thing and don't really think about the fact that there could be three or four different ways of doing it. So sometimes I'm, I'm missing out on opportunities. And what I've found through my career is that the more I surround myself with people who are different from me, the better decisions we will all make because they will challenge my thinking on things. They will counteract my view on things. They will give me views of things that I would never have thought of. Um, and that helps me make better decisions be because I, I don't have the same blind spots mm -hmm. that I do as an individual. When we're in crisis, I think we, we, we kind of really revert to the core of us. So we, we become more extreme versions of ourselves. So, so, you know, if I have a tendency to rush something through and, and make a decision quickly, then I'm going to do that 10 times more when, when I'm under pressure. I think the, the diversity of the team and recognising that 
different people are bringing different things and and that you have to sometimes make yourself listen to them because they'll be telling you things that might be uncomfortable for you or, or that you won't necessarily think are important because of your own mindset. I think that's really essential to getting through any crisis. The other thing is, is to recognise that not taking a decision is taking a decision. You, you know, doing nothing isn't an option because the world is changing around you. And, and sometimes I think people do get kind of paralysed with the fear of, what if I make the wrong decision? And I think in those cases when there's been so much stuff and, and sometimes, yes, you know, we face this, these huge problems, just do something. Keep moving forward. That, again, will sort of give you some momentum. When I first went to Sony, I was recruited to take over what was at the time an underperforming team, had a bad reputation in the business, it wasn't really respected. And there were some people with huge potential in the team, but they'd not really been sort of managed and developed properly. And it was an uphill struggle because the hierarchy of, of the Japanese company, I, I was new, the Japanese respect experience, they respect age, I didn't have either. The 15 years I'd been working before I got to Sony was irrelevant because it wasn't Sony experience. It was pretty tough to have, having to convince people every day that I was capable of doing the right thing. And I remember at one point getting fed up and pretty disillusioned with it and, and talking to my boss who'd had essentially the same experience about 18 months earlier. So she'd come in, taken over a team and had to rework it. I said, there's so much left to do and I'm not sure I can do it all. And she said she'd, she'd gone home at one point, sort of fairly early on and spoken to her husband and said the same thing. So basically, I can't fix it. It's too broken. And he had advised her to look back and see what she'd already achieved. That's so important because sometimes in, in crisis, in difficult situations, we're just looking forward and we're looking at the unknown and we're looking at all the things that we don't know and all the things that we don't know how to do and haven't done yet. And that can be really overwhelming. And I think sometimes all of us just should look back and say, OK, actually, I've, I've already done all of these things. And, and two years ago, that felt impossible. That certainly gave me the, the strength to, to keep going. Building self-confidence and building resilience were key for me. Learning to trust my own judgment. I had a very difficult relationship with my mother growing up and, and essentially nothing I did was ever good enough. Um, that coloured the way I felt about myself for a very long time and, and it, it played into the imposter syndrome that we were talking about a few minutes ago and the um, you know, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Everybody else here is much smarter than me. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to get found out. And I, I was given a, 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 an executive coach at one point, um, reasonably early on in my career at Sony. And almost the only thing we talked about was, was my self-image. And it was really important for me to understand that the image I had of myself in my head was not the image that everybody else had of me. It was actually doing me no favours at all. In my head, I was still six years old being told off by my mother because my bedroom was messy or, you know, whatever it was. And starting to realise that actually I was ignoring all of the positive feedback I was getting. The only thing I was listening to was the mistakes and the criticism. I was discounting so much positive feedback and positive results 
I think women have a slight tendency to do this anyway. It kind of came home to me just how much I was doing it. And, and I had my staff telling me that I should stop putting myself down. I always used to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not very technical. I'm not very good at tax or, you know, I'm not very creative. And they go, but you are. Why do you keep telling people you're not? Going through a process of kind of relearning who I was again understanding that that sort of inner vision of myself was not what the rest of the world saw and once i'd done that not only did i feel better and more confident but i was also more authentic because i was being me i wasn't trying to be somebody because i thought i should be that person so many things to pick on in what you just said many resonate with me personally um as well last year someone i was having a conversation with someone after um i had made a pretty difficult you know work decision not for me but as part of my role um and i was feeling really down about it and conflicted and also when when you hold a lot of mm. when you care about people when you have that perception that we were talking about earlier to pick up on feeling uh, people's feelings and everything else of course you you carry that even more with you and as women i think we have a propensity to do that um too so um the person i was having the conversation with said to me well i challenge you said to write a article called what did i do to avoid all the things i did to avoid a fuck up you know the past past year um yeah i was like oh, you know i don't have time to do this in my head i i really appreciated the idea and i loved you know deep down inside i knew it was uh, it was going to help me but the inner resistance was still there and then i actually did you know a week later write the article um and there was a lot of internal struggle in really sitting down and thinking about all of the things that i had done that were positive um, instead of focusing on this one thing that to some degree was out of my control um, but that really had colored a vision of ah oh, well this could have been better even though I had no control over it um, and that's just one example of the past 17 years of, um, uh, of work um, but what you said also about the importance of having a diverse um, diversity thinking as well team um, creativity being so important and also creativity manif creativity manifests itself in different ways as you said some people are able to look at a blank page and come up with ideas and some other people in for example you being process driven there is a lot of creativity in that too because not everyone can think in a process way or not everyone can think in a methodical way or bringing uh, frameworks together or methodologies so it's it's all about how we view these things as well and in crisis all of these aspects are so important my as you know because the way that we met you know I, you were a client at the time i was 22 years old my first job after university um i had and still have a strange and funny name a foreign woman many barriers to, to knock down and i was given to be of support to these two networks one being the tax director network and the other being a, a finance uh, director's network and i also knew nothing about tax and finance i came from an international relations background always have been and always will be a humanitarian at heart um but i also like to challenge myself and this opportunity arose itself and so i, I took it and you being obviously in your role at sony were one of the members of this network um one of the very few actually female members um alongside a couple of others that i very much looked up to as well but i remember very well having the same thoughts and conversations in my head going into work every day and thinking okay well putting your boxing gloves on and knowing that you can do this and so client management and managing clients and managing relationships with organizations is my bread and butter in what i do and you said something very important about stopping for a second when you're in a very sensitive and very urgent situation and crises come in different shapes and forms and we always say no two crises are the same um, and just because you have responded to one before it doesn't mean that what you did then will work 
for the second one, even if the situation might be the same or the context might be the same, each crisis is different. And for me, whenever I talk to clients or whenever, whether now, you know, or before, one of the crucial things that I do is I always say, let's stop and take a step back. And you also saying that really resonated with me and in the way that I've worked throughout my career with clients and in taking confident decisions as well. You also said in the beginning of your role at Sony, um, you became fed up of constantly having to convince people that you are doing the right thing. And I was just really, um, since we will only be releasing the sound version of this recording, uh, no one will see me just furiously shaking my head in agreement. I know what I'm doing, but you still have to reiterate and to, um, <laughs> to find different ways of saying it until also you are convinced yourself and you stop because you're like, I know my worth. I know what I bring. So bring it on and see what, what comes out of it. So yeah, so many different things that resonate in what you said. A funny story, just, just on, that, on that final point. Um, what, one of the things that I had to do within a couple of years of, of starting my job at Sony was effectively take over another team. And um, it was working with a, the very traditional Japanese side of the business and, and, and there was a lot of concern that this woman who'd only been with Sony a couple of years didn't know the company, didn't know what was going on, couldn't really be trusted with this really very important team, this very important project. And I had a Japanese manager in my team who was basically sent to help me get to deal with the Japanese management and understand how to talk to them and get their attention effectively. So he was my kind of one man PR team. I remember I had numerous very challenging and interesting meetings during that time. I remember I had to go to Amsterdam for one particularly sort of tricky meeting and came away having got agreement with what we needed to do and essentially it was the first time I really felt that people were backing me uh, as opposed to just waiting to see when I was going to fail. Mm-hmm. And we, we were in the airport and I remember walking through and, and this Japanese guy turned to me and said, mm. he said, it's interesting because, you know, you have succeeded. And I, I really didn't believe you would. And I'm like, well, I'm so glad you didn't tell me that a year ago. <laughs> he meant it nicely, I think, but it, but it was a bit kind of, oh, OK, fine. I, I think a bit of the, you know, the confidence and the fake it till you make it. But, but also I think what, what got me through sometimes when I didn't feel personally that I was the right, you know, I was as good as I could be or as good as other people was just belief in what I was trying to do. And that, you know, I knew I was trying to do the right thing. And if they didn't like me and they wanted to get rid of me, then that didn't change that what I was trying to do was still the right thing to do. And, and that made it easier um for for me because it it kind of depersonalized it a bit in a way that gave me the determination sometimes that you know when you felt like the whole world was against you it it was just that conviction in in what i was trying to do depersonalizing but at the same time holding on to your core values because i i am built i am cooked this way to want to do a good job deliver Um, and I know that in my hearts of hearts and in my conscience, I'm doing everything that I can and everything that I believe to be right. Um, and yeah, it's true how, when you go really inward and you fall back onto who you are as a person to connect to what we were saying earlier, you also kind of like take a step back from it as well and feel more reassured in your path. So you go in, but at the same time, you kind of remove yourself from being too involved. Then you just have the credibility within yourself to, to move forward. 
Yeah, I, I think I've, I've always been reasonably successful at, at, at sort of separating the personal from business. It's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you this bad news because I don't like you. I'm telling you this bad news because you need to know it. If you don't like me as a result, then okay. I know other people that I've worked with who find that incredibly difficult. To, to, to separate the kind of the business from the personal and therefore it's much harder for them to deliver a hard message or you know in the situation I was just talking about where I knew people were hoping I would fail and I, and I knew that there was a fairly high potential cost in terms of I could have lost my job because if there were enough people I alienated that would have been all over being true to myself being true to my values having faith in in what i was trying to do was was really important absolutely you also said something very important when we were talking a bit earlier also in terms of critical situations and crisis connected to the importance of having different people in your team and diversity and how you even word your job descriptions and your ads and how you word the communication so we work a lot with communication psychology at crisis compass but also with our clients and one exercise that we do a workshop in fact is the use of language in crisis and that is always so fascinated so how you then empower yourself and your teams to, to think differently um, and to get something out of that might have been very differently colored if you had focused just on the bad and not to say that we know the situation is severe you know we know that there are outcomes from it but language plays such a big role in how we deal not just with the everyday but how we deal um, with things in critical times and you also said about decision making that sometimes for sure when not making a decision is a decision as well because you're deciding not to decide and we also think that a lot of the times there are no good or bad decisions obviously you know if there are decisions that lead to loss of life and we're thinking really severe that's a different conversation but generally you do make a decision with what you have at the time and that's why this whole focusing on what you know and the resources that you have will at least empower you to feel like okay well this is a decision that i can make and then in time yeah you reassess it but then you know to move forward and to feel at least compelled to say i did the best that i could and at least I move the situation forward and all those things connect. And I also find it so fascinating how we do that and how we communicate with each other as teams in critical times. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really essential part of good leadership, how you communicate and what you do. And I think being seen to be doing something and, and, and being seen to make decisions and move things forward is really important to how your team feels because they feel as direction. And actually, yeah, you know, there might be two or three other things that you could have done, but do something, move things forward. People feel comfortable that something is happening and that, that you are taking charge. And I think those situations where you are in a very extreme situation, that is when people look for leadership. And that is when it's really important for you to stand up and do something. A couple of years ago, um, a young woman in my team tragically died in an accident. She just didn't come into work one morning and nobody knew where she was and we were trying to reach her all day. And finally the police called me and said that she unfortunately had not survived this accident. And I had to tell the rest of the team. Uh, we had to work out what to do. We had to talk to our clients. I had to talk to her family. And there were so many things that I had never done before. And, you know, I was in shock as well. 
And I think at that point, you really saw the team just looking to me for direction. Nobody knew what to do. Everybody was really shocked. Everybody was really upset. And I let them see that I was also shocked and upset. And I think that was really important to say that this is a horrible thing we're going through. It's, it's horrible for all of us. I understand people's heads are not going to be in the right place for a while and it's okay. And, you know, we can talk about it. We can not talk about it, but let's not ignore it. I think we have to deal with it. And I think that being able to connect with the team at that point, and again, seeing different reactions in the team and people handling it in a different way, which was giving me the strength to do the things that I had to do that I was finding difficult as well. I think crisis brings out the best and the worst in people. Hopefully you're one of the people that it brings the best out in you. But I think how you communicate things is so important. And, and another sort of more trivial example is, is one of our sister offices where they were moving office. And in the old building, everybody had had their own office, including Adminstar, everybody had their own office. And it was a pretty old, pretty grim, pretty dingy, dismal building. Um, but they were moving to a new open plan. And a few people would have offices, but most people were going to go into open plan. There were two teams that were affected by this. And one team leader said, this is going to be great. It's a new way of working for us. The building's fantastic. It's a it's brand new fit out. We've got all this entertainment space we've got a fantastic new restaurant cafeteria we've got big windows looking out over the city they went they did tours of the building they took photos they brought back a mood board that they set up to sort of talk the team through what was happening and yeah, there was a little bit of oh but I want an office but so basically within a week of moving everybody was settled everybody was happy everybody loved the new space there was another department whose boss basically said, oh, you know, but mm, this is going to be miserable. I don't understand why we have to move and we've got to be with the other teams. And, you know, it's not as convenient for me for commuting. And six months on, that team is still complaining about the move. Same building, move from the same building to the same building, same experience. But one team got a positive message from the top and one got a negative message from the top. And it just makes so much difference to how people feel about it and that's one of the things that I learned fairly early which is it doesn't matter how great you think something is if you need to persuade people then you better sell it you've got to be upbeat you've got to be positive and and that's what gets people through these big changes I think Absolutely. I mean, that was a very great example of that. And um, also, thank you so much for sharing um, the very sad and painful story. Um, but also what that highlights is the importance of vulnerability as a leader, which we could go into and talk about for many more hours to come. But as you say, setting that tone and also showing that you're human too, and especially in those situations where a human life has been affected. I will ask you one final question. So the podcast is called Reinventors. What does it mean to you and what triggers that in you? There's two things. One, one is, is like a personal reinvention, which, which was for me learning that other people's view of me didn't have to define me and that I could put aside some of the things that had been said to me and choose to be more authentic. Then I think there's reinvention in a professional sense in terms of this didn't go the way I planned, something unexpected happened. 
well, what am I going to do now? And, and sometimes recognizing that if something can't be done or you're being told you can't do something, that means you've got to rethink it fundamentally. Um, and I remember asking for more resource a few years back and setting out all of the stuff that we had to do and why it was so important I had more people and being told that I couldn't have them and came home and oh nobody cares that my staff are you know working too late and we're, everybody's stressed what that's telling me is that I need to find a different way of doing things with the resource I have and it required me to fundamentally rethink how we worked as a team and sometimes you know that those cliff edge situations where going forward isn't an option the way you've been doing it and you've got to rethink those can be the really most powerful moments, um, you know, of your life and of your career. And that's such a brilliant thing to, to end on, the fact that, yeah, that can really make or break in a way, in the way that you think and the way that you speak and the way that you communicate as well. Um, and the way that you talk to yourself as well. There was a bit of, of that in there <laughs> <laughs> that we all talk to ourselves. Sarah, how can people get in touch with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, it's Sarah Fahi. Um, and if you search for me under Sony, then you should find me. And I welcome anybody to get in touch and, and, and say hi. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us. This has been great. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks.